You are Locked On Chargers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Chargers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, guys, and welcome into the Locked On Chargers podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade, and this episode is brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. And for Chargers fans, it's always on the edge of your seat, but... Pepsi is the refreshment that you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Before we get started, I am a writer from San Diego Sports Domination, San Diego's top sports blog, and I also write for the LA Football Network, but I've been covering the Chargers now for over five seasons, doing my own Facebook Live show, Chargers Domination Live, which airs weekly, and now this is my third season as the host of the Locked On Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day. All right, guys, well, we have a super fun show planned for you guys today because it is a crossover Thursday, and this week we get Aaron Freeman from the Lock On Falcons podcast to get into this weekend's game. But we're going to start with the news that Anthony Lynn has kind of stuck his foot in his mouth again because on Wednesday he made some insensitive comments about Pearl Harbor in regards to the Chargers, so we'll get into that. And also him saying that he's going to take over not only one of the worst special teams units in the NFL, but one of the worst that this league has ever seen. So the numbers behind that are a little bit scary. And then we'll get into the crossover. And what we're going to focus on is the similarities between the Chargers and the Falcons. We'll get into the Falcons relieving Dan Quinn of his duties after an 0-5 start and what Raheem Morris has brought to the team as an interim head coach because I know that's what a lot of Charger fans want to see for the Chargers. We'll also get into their running game struggling a bit and what they're going to do to try to confuse rookie quarterback Justin Herbert. But let's go ahead and get into it. On Wednesday during his press conference, Los Angeles Chargers head coach Anthony Lynn made some insensitive comments about Pearl Harbor. This is Daniel Wade with your Locked On Chargers lead story. Anthony Lynn has made some questionable comments to the media. Last week he talked about the team being pretty much out of the playoff hunt even though they were not mathematically eliminated until they lost to the Patriots. And this week he is under fire once again because he did make a comment that definitely rubbed people the wrong way when he was talking about this team trying to fight through adversity. He said, we're down, but we're not out. Just the other day was Pearl Harbor Day, one of the biggest defeats this country has had, but we bounced back from that. And I kind of used that as an example with my staff the other day. We're down and out, but we're not dead yet. So we're going to finish this season out the right way. And today we're going to start with a good day of practice. This is something that is really not meant to be held around anything football related. I mean, when you're talking about a national tragedy like Pearl Harbor, you definitely don't want to talk about it flippantly. And to talk about something like football, which is a game at the end of the day, it's not something to be taken that seriously. And then compare it to a day in U.S. history that is really tragic. I mean, 2,400 U.S. Americans were killed that day, including 68 civilians. So to talk about that as far as the Chargers' losses were equally as bad as that, even though I do not think that's what his intent was, was really short-sighted But on his part. I mean, just not really thinking that comment through because no matter how bad your team plays, and they played very bad last week, losing 45-0, to you just can't use those kind of metaphors 
when you're talking about football and you're talking about something that many Americans live with who have family members that might have been killed during that time. It's just something that you just don't bring up. And Anthony Lynn usually is a great communicator and usually things like this don't get out. I mean, he hasn't made really any waves in his time as Chargers head coach before this season about saying things that really caught headlines. But this was something I know he probably wishes at this point he could take back after seeing the backlash. And it's the second consecutive week where he's made some really questionable comments regarding this team. And this one was just something you just don't do and something he should have had the common sense not to put out to the media. Because I know a lot of head coaches, I'm sure, you know, use football as a battlefield, use it as a war, and you're going up against the other team. But at the end of the day, it's a sport. It's something that you have fun with. It's something little kids are watching at home. It's just not something you can relate to World War II, you know. So that is something I would expect we hear Anthony Lynn comment about again in the future. But Anthony Lynn also talked about the special teams, which allowed a blocked field goal for a touchdown and a punt return for a touchdown last week. And he said that he is taking over the special teams unit. A couple of weeks ago, he relieved George Stewart of those duties and moved him to an assistant position on the offense. And they replaced George Stewart with Keith Burns and Chris Caminetti. But obviously, those changes did not make the Chargers any better on their special teams unit as Sunday was one of the worst performances that we've ever seen. And the Chargers not only have one of the worst special teams units in the NFL, but they are in the running for one of the worst special teams units that we've ever seen. And this is from Football Database. The 2020 Chargers are below average in all five phases of special teams that we measure, but what really stands out is the net punting. Right now, the Chargers would finish the season as the worst punting unit we've ever tracked. The Chargers were averaging 32.0 net yards on punts this year. The next lowest team is Minnesota at 34.8, and the league average is 40.5. And the crazy thing about these metrics is they're not even including the special teams penalties, which honestly should be included, but the Chargers also lead the league in that category with 16 special teams penalties. But this is a familiar story for Chargers fans because in 2010, it really showed up why special teams are so important because that Chargers team went 8-8 eight and eight that season and they had the number one ranked offense and the number one ranked defense, but they had the worst special teams unit in the league that season and they couldn't even make it to the playoffs. So we all know at this point how important special teams are and Michael Badgley has struggled. The coverage units have all struggled and Anthony Lynn has already talked about taking a more hands-on approach with the special teams unit. Now he says he's taking over, so we'll see if that unit can turn things around in the last four games because what we have seen to this point has just been embarrassing. But we do have two more segments to get into because we're going to be talking with Aaron Freeman of the Locked On Falcons podcast about what it feels like to be able to fire your coach midseason and have a new voice come in and kind of inspire the team with the Falcons playing some winning football and much more coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys that pretty much every day I come to a point of my day where I'm hitting a wall energy-wise, and whether it's mental or physical, I have to either take a nap or try to fight through it some other way. But you guys don't have to worry about that anymore because I can fix that with a Built Go. Built Go is from the creators of Built Bar, the best protein bar on the planet. But this is meant to get you through the wall at the end of your day. And what they are, they're energy supplements that come in easy to take, one and a half ounce packages. It's like a five hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus it's natural. So it's better for the body. 
This is like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and getting better results. And for me, you know, it's all about taste. And they have three great flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. Peanut butter, honey is obviously my favorite. I'm loving anything peanut butter related. But right now, you guys can save money and you can go to BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED to get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED, all caps, for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. What's up, guys? You know what it is. It is Thursday, so that means it's Crossover Thursday, and we have a special guest this week. We don't get to talk with them very often, but today we're talking with the Locked On Falcons podcast and their host, Aaron Freeman. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at FalcFans on Twitter, F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. One of the best follows on the Locked On Podcast Network, to be sure, but I'm really excited because there are some parallels between these two teams, especially one in particular, Aaron, and that is... The Falcons, after going 0-5 this season, ended up firing their head coach uh, and Dan Quinn. And then the Chargers fans have really wanted to see Anthony Lynn go and not wanted to wait you know, until the end of the season, which we now recently found out that they are going to wait and evaluate things at the end of the season. So the Falcons have been a winning team since Dan Quinn left. I mean, it's 4-3, a couple of losses to the Saints. That's a tough team, obviously. But I just wanted to know, Coming from a team that actually fired their coach midseason, what have the effects been on the team that you have seen since they let go of Dan Quinn? Yeah, it's interesting because it's not like the Falcons are doing something dramatically different. It just seems like the players are responding better to interim head coach Raheem Morris. You know, they've changed up things a little bit defensively. They've been a lot more aggressive blitzing uh, in order to generate pressure. Uh, and that's really, I think, been instrumental to their defense having basically a turnaround since Raheem Morris uh, took over as the head uh, coach. You know, the thing was, like, Raheem Morris was a defensive coordinator those first five games when the Falcons' defense was struggling. Um, so it's not as if, like, suddenly right. they completely changed it up or, or anything like that. It was just they started being a little bit more aggressive with the blitzing, and that's really enhanced their pass rush, and I think that's allowed them to uh, get a little bit more stops, particularly on early downs over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, is just simply due to that sort of shot across the bow in terms of firing Dan Quinn really got players to sort of sit up and listen and and realize that like they can't be maybe as complacent as they were prior to that point. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, we've talked about it here. It's just like you sometimes you just need that new voice, right? And that's kind of cliche and you hear that a lot. But in this case, I mean, they responded to it. So I don't think that's something that can be taken for granted. And obviously Anthony Lynn on the other side, said the Chargers didn't have any chance of making the playoffs last week when they weren't mathematically eliminated, and then they go on to lose 45-0 to against the Patriots. But what you were talking about there as far as the aggressiveness from the defense is another thing I wanted to talk about because there's been a little bit of a theme with the Chargers offense struggling, especially you know against teams like the Bills, the Patriots, and the Dolphins, and that is you know getting a lot of guys near the line of scrimmage. The Chargers offensive line doesn't know who's coming, and the Falcons have been, you know, middle of the pack, I guess, you know, as far as rushing the passer so far this year. But do you think that they're going to try to take things from those other games as far as using stunts, kind of disguising their blitzes, disguising their coverages to try to kind of find that chink in Justin Herbert's armor? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that's been sort of where the Falcons have been their most successful these last couple of weeks, particularly against the Saints. The Saints have been able to 
sort of exploit some of that stuff uh, with Taysom Hill's running. He had a big play uh, last week on, on, a, on a scramble because he was able to break contain when the Falcons brought the blitz. And that led to the Falcons getting a little bit more conservative in the middle of the game and, and relying a little bit more on rushing four guys. But I think ultimately with a guy like Justin Herbert, given his youth, given his inexperience, given some of the, the Chargers struggles in terms of uh, holding up against some of those blitzes, uh, I think the Falcons will certainly come out of the gates um, pretty hot in, in terms of their aggressiveness. And it's going to be on a player like Justin Herbert in, in that Chargers offense to basically pick it apart. As we know, like the Blitz, you know, it's kind of a live by the sword, die by the sword sort of scenario. And so if the, the Chargers can exploit it early in the game, then they can maybe get the Falcons to do what they did last week against the, the Saints and, and get out of it and then allow them to uh, be able to exploit some of the holes in that secondary because the Falcons will tend to, you know, rely a little bit more on their zone and, and rushing four guys. And that's not really what when this defense is clicking is, is how they want to play defensively. So um, I think the expectation is that the Falcons will come out and be pretty aggressive from the get go and be on the charges to uh, see if they can uh, manage and, and weather the storm, so to speak. Yeah. And that's kind of been their issue is they get derailed early because of that. And they're not really able to get into what they wanted to do, but you know, everyone came to this show today to talk about kickers, right? I mean, <laughs> we all came here to talk about kickers, but obviously we have some commonality there because Young Way Koo, the phenom of this season, I have to ask because he was the Chargers kicker once upon a time because he has been so impressive leading the NFL in scoring so far this year. But I just want to know, I mean, obviously he struggled with the Chargers. He didn't necessarily deserve to keep going with how bad he was early on for the Chargers, but I didn't get a very long shot at it at all. So I was just wondering what you were feeling like when they decided to release Matt Bryant bring in young way and then just how impressed you've been with him so far this season. Yeah. The whole Matt Bryant thing is a saga. We could do a whole podcast about that where the Falcons <laughs> let him go and then bring him back. Bring him back. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then you can argue that they might have let him go a little bit too early, but you know, they brought in young way uh, at a time when Matt Bryant was struggling with some of those long field goals and, and Koo was a little bit up and down in that uh, first season last year in the second half of last year, uh, but then really came on strong in the season finale against Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think hit five kicks in that game, including some longer ones. As you Chargers fans well know that, you know, yeah. some of those longer kicks were really where he struggled in his days uh, back in the San Diego days. Um, and so this year he, he's been pretty on point. He had some early misses, missed a couple of extra points, missed a couple of field goals, but most of his misses have been, you know, the one or two games where he's had a couple misses, he, he strained a hamstring. I can't remember exactly which game it was early in the season. I think it was the Chicago game in week three. But yeah, for the most part, he's been really solid, been nailing his long kicks, been perfect for the most part. They've sort of dialed him back on not having him on kickoffs in recent weeks, I think, to sort of um, keep his knee rested because he did have a knee issue a couple of weeks ago uh, where he got uh, nicked up on a field goal as uh, running into the kicker penalty uh, led to some knee issues. So they've been dialing back his uh, kickoff duties, but we know um, that he, you know, he, he famously is like the league's best onside kick uh, specialist. So I guess if the Falcons do need an onside kick in a game and knowing how these charger and Falcon games finish, there's, yeah. Pretty high probability that it, it might come down to a special teams play like that. I think he'll be out there. But for the most part, he's been really impressive, really consistent. And it's nice to sort of see him grow 
especially given that the Falcons had basically had a decade of elite kicker play, and right. we just didn't know what to do with ourselves when we weren't getting consistent uh, kicker play, um, you know, last year and, and going into this year. So he's been definitely a breath of fresh air and, and one of the few Falcon players I think is truly deserving of being voted to the Pro Bowl this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And for Chargers fans, he's the one that got away. I mean, him and Josh Lambeau both going on to amazing success after leading the Chargers. But you never want to be in the the kicker game where you're just trying out guys for a few games. That's just the worst. But speaking about the Falcons offense, one of the things I read in the ESPN article earlier was just the fact that Todd Gurley, since week six, has only averaged 2.6 yards per carry. The team has only averaged about 3.2 yards per carry. Obviously, there's been some regression in the running game. And I was wondering if you thought of this game as a potential fix-it game for that area of the Falcons just to try to get something going down the end of the season because the Chargers have a pretty soft front. I mean, you saw last week the Patriots kind of ran all over them. That has been the key to a lot of their losses so far this season. So obviously, the Falcons running game hasn't been doing very well, but this presents itself as an opportunity for them to get back on track in that regard. And I think as far as a recipe for beating the Chargers, I think it's super important. Yeah, I think this this is one of the, the few games where I think we can hope the Falcons running game can look competent. Um, and Keyword hope. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, it, when it comes to these two teams, you can't put a lot of stock in, in, in truly believing in things. Um, I think – it's interesting because the the one of the reasons why the Falcons' offense has struggled re- lately is because of how sort of one dimensional they have be- become, um, and they haven't been able to rely on the running game as much. Gurley got off to a pretty solid start that first month of the season, even though he wasn't putting up monster numbers. It was just sort of like you know ch- keep chipping away, keep chipping away, and 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 he was pretty effective. And these last couple of weeks, it just hasn't been really working. He's been battling a knee issue that we don't know if it's officially related to the knee issues that he was right. dealing with before but the Falcons haven't been pr- particularly forthcoming nor do you expect them to be but it, there's a guess that it is related to the knee issues there and so they were a little reluctant to uh play him last week uh and then they put him in the game late and he had a a, a notable faux pas uh, mm, on a short yardage yeah. situation and unfortunately for Todd Gurley uh there's been a, a few too many of those faux pas where plays where he has scored a touchdown or ran out of bounds or got a, a negative run in sort of critical moments. Uh, scored a touchdown in a bad way. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, the, the context matters. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's been a tough sort of first year for, for Todd Gurley on a lot of fronts, but hopefully, you know, he, he mentioned uh, that being able to play in his quote unquote home stadium uh, this weekend, uh, may allow him to, you know, I guess I was thinking gi- give the charges the, the opposite of a hometown discount uh, right. by, uh, you know, maybe uh, putting one up on them. So I, I think th- this is really the last good opportunity for this Falcons running game to, to look mildly competent. And so hopefully that is the case. And, and at least Todd Gurley can get something of a bad taste out of his mouth in terms of some of the struggles he's had recently. Yeah, and I think you'd feel a lot better about him going forward if he was able to put something together down the stretch as far as them wanting to retain him, I would say. But we are going to flip things around. You are going to ask me some questions about the Chargers coming up in the next segment. I can't wait to hear what you have because obviously the Chargers have been the butt of a lot of jokes so far this season. So there's so many different ways 
that it could go. But we're going to get into that coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys that this football season will be different. And Pepsi's here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. For me, I'm personally excited about this matchup against the Falcons because it's just not one we get to see very often. Usually, it's every four years. So this is kind of a surprise game. This is the fourth year, so we get to finally see them play against the NFC South. So I'm excited about it. And for you guys, Pepsi is the refreshment that you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. So, guys, we're continuing today's crossover Thursday. Of course, Aaron Freeman here of Locked On Falcons, joined by Daniel Wade of Locked On Chargers. And we're flipping the script and getting a little bit more into this L.A. Chargers team and what's going on. And, you know, we already talked about it, touched upon it slightly, talking about Anthony Lynn. But I get the pleasure, or maybe not displeasure, I guess, (laughs) of finally getting to ask somebody else about their coaching being on the hot seat after sort of uh, having to deal with those questions uh, early in the season on every single crossover. So I'm curious, Daniel, from your perspective, it it seems like it's clear that Anthony Lynn will get the opportunity to coach out the rest of the season as a part to evaluate in terms of him keeping his job. I guess the question I'll ask you that I got asked a bunch this year as well as last year is, do you think the Chargers will move on from Anthony Lynn at the end of the season? I think they will, but I mean, I think as a Falcons fan, you probably know that there's a couple of seasons that Dan Quinn, you know, it almost seemed like it was a for sure thing. He would be gone at the end of the year just for him to get another chance. And I think for Anthony Lynn, I mean, he's not going to get a contract extension after this season, but he still has one year left on his deal. So I don't think so. I mean, the Chargers ownership group has not been the highest spending group in the NFL. I mean, they're poor in those terms. I mean, as far as, you know, billionaires go. Um, but there is a sense that they might not move on from Anthony Lynn at the end of the season. But I just think at this point, especially after the worst loss in franchise history, I mean, the biggest point differential, the worst shutout in team history. I mean, I think that might have been the final nail in the coffin. And I think the biggest thing about it is, is he the guy to be there for the Justin Herbert era? Because that's basically what we're in now. You have a new quarterback. He's shown the talent to, you know, take you places as a team. He's on his rookie contract, and if we've seen, you know, the design and the scheme from other teams as far as what they're able to do on that rookie contract where they're able to surround the rest of the team, is he the guy to really lead that charge? And I just don't think this year he's been able to do it. And I think the biggest thing is he hasn't progressed as far as time management, game management, game planning. And I think that's the biggest thing is, like, if you're the head coach and you're surrounded by good coordinators – you should be okay as long as you can do a few of those things, be able to keep the team morale up and all of those things. But the clock management this year has been an all-time low. I mean, just disaster after disaster. And I think at this point, I just even if he was to win the next four games, I just don't know if that would be enough for them to keep him in 2021. Now, you mentioned the 45-0 to loss to the Patriots last week, and I, I guess I'm, I'm sure you've been talking about this quite a bit on Locked on Chargers these last couple of days, uh, but sort of in your own words for the Falcon fans listening that didn't get to catch the game, sort of what's a quick summary of, of sort of what went wrong for the Chargers? I know special teams was a major problem for them in that game, and it just seemed like any opportunity that the Patriots could get to score a special teams touchdown, they, they took full advantage of that. Um, but – more specifically talking a little bit more about uh, Justin Herbert 
and sort of the season that he's been having so far, but seemed to struggle a, a lot more in that Patriots game. What exactly were the Patriots doing defensively that was sort of getting uh, Herbert off his game, or were there other factors that uh, it wasn't necessarily the Patriots doing? I mean, there are a lot of factors. I mean, Justin Herbert early on in his career was one of the best quarterbacks under pressure, right? And it just seemed like the Chargers were kind of like, okay, well, you know, we'll just throw him out there under pressure and he'll be fine. Well, that hasn't been the case. It has regressed to the mean in that sense. And I think the biggest thing the Patriots did was confusing the Chargers going. They won that game before they ever stepped out on the field. Uh, the, The Chargers thought that they were going to blitz them a ton. They only blitzed them four times. Yet they got over 20 pressures in the game. And a lot of that was stunting with the defensive line. I think they ran 34 stunts in that game. And I think you, you saw this Chargers offensive line, especially for a patchwork unit that's you know had guys shuffling in and out of the lineup all season long. One of the biggest parts of that is communication. And when you don't have that communication, when guys aren't trading off rushers and things like that, it's just allowing free rushers in on the quarterback. So the Patriots did a lot of things. They disguised some coverages pretty well. They gave Justin Herbert a lot of post-snap diagnosing that he just wasn't really able to do. And I think we've seen at this point that that is something he's going to have to work through in his rookie season. I mean, that's something he's going to have to come along with more. His progressions haven't been as good lately. He's been locking into certain receivers. And I think that is what he kind of does as far as if he feels like there's going to be imminent pressure or something like that, he's looking for Keenan Allen. You know, he's looking for a hot route to Hunter Henry or to dump the ball off to Austin Eckler. And it just seemed like, I mean, it's Bill Belichick going up against a rookie quarterback, right? I mean, that's a tale as old as time. It's, it's what he does. But I do think there was a formula there that teams have been able to replicate to slow down Justin Herbert, who's off to, I mean, a historic start. Yeah, and, and it's been impressive watching Justin Herbert, who was a, a, a player that was kind of a polarizing prospect uh, coming into the draft and, a, um, and, and coming out of the draft. And I wasn't a fan of the pick when it happened. There you go. And yeah. to sort of see him get off to the fast start, I think beyond even probably his biggest supporters' expectations and, and sort of seeing things kind of – as you say, regress to the mean, you know, do you feel like last week's game was sort of a blip or is that sort of a pattern that it's just one of those things that the more that teams are seeing what Herbert is bringing to the table, they're being able to make those adjustments. It's so hard to say because it's, you would like to see what it would look like if he wasn't running for his life the entire game. You know what I mean? Like if he's making mistakes out of a clean pocket just because he's getting so disguised by the coverages, I would be more concerned. But at the same time, I mean, some of the knocks coming out of college, you know, him under pressure, how does he handle those situations? Is he going to be able to make big plays or is it going to get to him and he's going to throw the ball at somebody's feet? And early in the season, it couldn't have been farther from the truth. I mean, he was excelling at a lot of the things that he struggled with in college. And I do think it's somewhere in between, like most things are, right? I mean, it's not as good as it was early on in the season. That was always going to be unsustainable. And I don't think it'll be bad with more time, but the Chargers ranked 32nd in pass blocking win rate. They were ranked 31st in run block win rate. So when you're on a bad team, when you can't run the football, when you're getting stuck in third and eight plus seemingly on every series, it's kind of hard to make a, a true evaluation of it just because Those are tough circumstances for any NFL quarterback to be in. When you put the other team in a situation where they know they can just get after the passer and they don't have to worry about you running the football, it changes a lot of things. So I think, honestly, at this point, it's probably too soon to tell, but I would say it's somewhere in the middle. But I do think the one thing is, is 
he's shown the ability to do it. You know what I mean? So you know it's in his bag. You know he has it in there. He just We haven't seen it very often lately, and I think a lot of that is just a mistrust with the offensive line that, I mean, last game was just absolutely letting him get battered. Now, the one thing I often joke on Locked on Falcons when I do these crossovers is that the Falcons typically are a get-right team for a lot of teams. If you've been struggling something uh, for recent weeks, then you play the Falcons and you will stop struggling. And I think one positive in the short Raheem Morris era is that hasn't necessarily been as true as it has been in in previous instances. Um, But I'm wondering sort of, Flipping the sides and, and looking at this uh, Chargers defense, you know, I look at a player like Joey Bosa and I, I see a guy that wreaks havoc, lines up all over the place. I've seen some of the recent struggles that the Falcons offensive line has had, uh, you know, giving up eight sacks two weeks ago to the Saints, only giving up three last week. But Matt Ryan was still under a lot of pressure. I, I'm curious, looking at this Chargers defense, you, we've talked a little bit about their struggles against the run. Um, I know they haven't been great against the past this year. You know, what are sort of the strengths of this Chargers defense and, and what's sort of their formula for, you know, keeping this Falcons offense in check that has players like Julio Jones and, and Calvin Ridley? Well, I mean, going into this season, the Chargers had one bona fide strength. It looked like it was going to be their secondary. And the other thing is they weren't going to give up big plays. They're one of the best teams in the league at limiting explosive plays. And it just hasn't been the case this year. I mean, Casey Hayward has had a serious regression. I think he's been beat five times for over 40 yards so far this season. I mean, to the point where, I mean, the Jets' game plan in the second half was literally just let Joe Flacco throw as high as he can and as far as he can. And it's either going to come down in the possession of his receiver or it's going to be a pass interference or something along those lines. But it's hard to look at any specific thing that the Chargers are exceptional at. I mean, there's no one thing that I would sit here and tell you, hey, They're above average rushing the passer. They're not. They're not above average stopping the run. They're not above average really stopping the pass. I mean, the pass numbers are a little bit deflated, I think. I think that the numbers that go up against them aren't really truly indicative of how well they're playing or how badly they are playing. It seems like when you go up against the Chargers, for the most part, you know what you're going to get. It's not like Justin Herbert facing disguise pressures and things like that. I mean, you know it's Gus Bradley. He's going to have that hard, you know, soft cover three shell over the top. He's going to drop four underneath in coverage, and that's going to be what you're going to get 75% of the time. So I think that as far as game planning wise, you're not going to get a lot of surprises there. And at this point, I mean, Joey Bosa is the one shining thing through this defense that's kind of been able to get through the rest of, you know, them just playing badly to be able to show up as a bright spot. I mean, a couple weeks ago, he has three sacks, six tackles for loss and a loss, you know, against the Bills, where he was just an absolute nightmare. But for a team that was, you know, propped up as being a top 10 defense going into the year, obviously Derwin James makes a huge difference. Drew Tranquil has been out all season. He's another linebacker they're very excited about. But you guys don't, you know, you know I don't have to talk to you about that because you guys have had a lot of injuries as well over the last few years. But, I mean, really, it is hard for me to say, hey, don't do this against the Chargers because it won't work. Because, seeming, I mean, last week everything worked. So far this season, there hasn't been one area that they've truly excelled. So, uh, you know, hearing your answer, it, it sounds like Joey Bosa is just going to have to put on the cape and, and, and basically just wreak havoc all game long and, and maybe create some turnovers for the Chargers. Yeah, I mean – 
And that is a big disadvantage for the Chargers because guess what? Every other team also knows that you have one player that they have to focus on every game. I mean, you center your game plan around how do you stop Joey Bosa? Because if you can stop him, I mean, there are two other leading edge rushers, Melvin Ingram and Uchenin Wosu. Nwosu might play this week. He was limited in participation last week. They don't have anybody else. I mean, there's nobody else on that defensive line that scares you. The first-round pick, Jerry Tillery, hasn't been able to come through. Kenneth Murray's had some struggles, but it's coming out of his biggest game of the season last week, 14 tackles and his first NFL sack. But, yeah, I mean, it would take a truly you know, heroic effort. He would definitely have to put the cape on if the Chargers were to have a good defensive performance. I think, realistically, if the Chargers are in this game, it's probably a shootout just because I just don't have any faith that they can stop you know all the weapons that the Falcons have. Well, this game has been somewhat of a punchline for people being given that some of the struggles that uh, both of these teams have had finishing games in sort of the, uh, let's say, abnormal ways that they have managed uh, or special ways that they have managed to lose some games. And so I have uh, – I wonder – sort of how, what type of game we're going to get this weekend. Uh, Daniel, I, I definitely appreciate you joining me for today's crossover Thursday. I'm just curious, uh, you know, going into this weekend, given these two teams history of losing games in spectacular fashion, you know, what, what are sort of your expectations uh, for what we're going to see on Sunday? So the biggest question is, do you want to have a lead in the fourth quarter of this game? (laughs) Or would you rather be the team that's trying to catch up because both are so, you know, good at blowing it? But, I mean, the the Chargers have done things even the Falcons haven't been able to do, right? I mean, four consecutive games of blowing 16-point leads, one of those being to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are one of the worst teams in the NFL I mean, how do you, you know, who is going to outdo themselves? Like, who is going to live up most to their team DNA? And I think for the Falcons, at least they've been able to get away from some of that with, you know, Raheem Morris taking over. The Chargers still seem to be firmly in the middle of that. Almost, I mean, to the point now where they're just not getting the leads to blow anyways, but even letting the Jets come back to make that an eight-point game at the end. Both of these teams have been really bad on it, but if you make me put money on it, I mean, I would have more faith somehow that the Falcons would be able to finish the game than the Chargers just because I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, I have learned not to put any money on the Falcons in terms of anything. Everyone Um, put your money away, generally speaking. (laughs) Put your money away for this game. So (laughs) definitely going to be an interesting game. Uh, Look forward to seeing what happens. You know, just basically we're going to be on the the edge of our seats uh, in that fourth quarter to see what happens. No lead is safe, as Daniel said. Uh, So, again, I appreciate Daniel for joining me on today's crossover. If you guys want to check him out, uh, you can find him on Twitter at Dan Talk Sports. And, of course, check out Locked On Chargers for the latest on what's going on uh, leading up to this Week 14 game. And, of course, uh, make sure you check out Locked On Falcons for the latest on the Atlanta Falcons, as many of my current listeners do on a weekly basis. So appreciate, Daniel, uh, for joining me for today's Crossover Thursday and looking forward uh, to this weekend's matchup. All right, man. You too. All right, well, a special thank you again to Aaron Freeman for joining us on the show today. I definitely got some insight there. Definitely someone that knows Charger fans' struggles being an Atlanta Falcon fan. But that is going to do it for today's show. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow to get into our keys for success 
for the Chargers going up against the 4-8 and eight Falcons on Sunday. But until then, make sure to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnLAC and to like the Facebook page Locked On Chargers, as well as subscribing to us wherever you get your podcast from. You can find the Locked On Chargers podcast there, and that's always the fastest and easiest way to get the show. We love you guys' voicemail calls. If you guys want to get in on the next voicemail show, the number is 323-524-7924. And you guys have done a great job with the voicemails, and we're trying to get to as many as possible. But we're back with you guys tomorrow to tell you who we think is going to win this game, what the Chargers need to do to come away with a win on Sunday. But until then, take it easy and go Bolts.